Let's pray before we go to the Word. Lord, we are grateful for your goodness to us. We're grateful that you are with us. And we ask you that you'd be with us now as we listen to your Word. Help us to hear what you are saying. And help us to respond. Would you touch those places in our lives that need to be um, touched in relation to your Word? In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, 2021 was our year for healing community. And uh, last week we had some talk about where God had met us and how we'd seen healing community. And uh, one thing I think that's, that's interesting, I, I actually struggle quite a bit with these theme messages. One of the things that happens is that we, we uh, feel like it's going to be this prophetic thing that's going to come straight off the mountain. It's going to be just exactly what's going to happen. We're actually looking to God for his word on what's happening. And sometimes we forget that this is about what God is doing. Our, sh our shift can subtly f shift to like, well, I don't know if that person was really a healing community for me. You get what I'm saying? Sometimes we forget that it's about the healer, right? Jesus is the healer. And he Jesus has been healing us. He has been healing our community. It's not that we look to each other or look even to Bethel or our church that we are the answer. But Jesus is our answer. All these themes are meant to, to give us a focus back on Jesus. And let's be honest that some of you might have experienced 2021 more like this. A little less green. Um, maybe for some of you it was a lot of healing community. Maybe for some of you it was more like this, the Judean wilderness uh, east of Jerusalem. Um, so I'm going to ask you, uh, has this last year, how has this diaspora, you know, you know um, been like a desert? Or in our terms, always winter but never Christmas. That's the way that uh, C.S. Lewis put it in the Chronicles of Narnia. Because our issue is less about water and it's more about warmth, right? Now all of us are like, oh, how far do we have? There's more light, right? There's more light every day. Is that right? Um, we're we're uh, looking forward to a long winter now that Christmas is over. But C.S. Lewis pictured Narnia as this place where it was always winter. It kept getting darker and it was never Christmas until Aslan was on the move and things began to melt and then it became spring and and. and uh, there was flourishing plants everywhere, right? So for us, we feel it more as winter. In, in uh, biblical lands, it was much more about water. And uh, that was what they faced. And so there's a lot of analogies about that versus Eden, which everything was flourishing. So how, this is my question for you. Just, we like to be honest here. How has this last year been a little like a desert for you? There have been some hard things, some griefs. Maybe you've seen God in them as well. And that's good to, to remember too, but it's okay to acknowledge the things that have been hard too. And then, where do we look in those times? Um, to what extent has your hope and our hope been only in Jesus? I think this is where sometimes I'm looking for 
healing community, but I can get distracted into thinking, well, ah, maybe it's no big deal. It's, it'll be fine without really turning to Jesus. Or maybe this uh, technology or that science or that, that, that person I really respect or the church or, or something will, other than Jesus himself, will be my hope. It's sometimes hard to keep our focus and keep our hope on Jesus, who's the only one who we really can trust to, to give us what we are looking for, what we are needing in the desert. Even Jesus was tempted in the same desert to look to some other things rather than hang on to God and his word, right? So I want you to take a minute to think about that. Okay, I'm going to... Does anybody have an answer to the uh, first question? Some way that you've seen personally or otherwise it's felt like a desert. COVID is like a desert. Yeah. <laughs> when it happens or if it happens that we get through this, we'll have Christmas all the time. We'll be able to get together with family. We'll be, it'll be quite a gift. Um, and it is a place where I wonder if I or we have always looked to Jesus for um, and sometimes we can look to uh, our faith or, or technology or medical science or whatever. Really, are we depending on Jesus even through those things? Um, yeah, so COVID has definitely been a long winter. Somebody else? So let me repeat that for those who are online. I think the rest probably heard you. So some relationships, um, close relationships, difficult, can be difficult and we can't change them. They can be like a desert, and we, can, uh, we can't change the other person, and we can only look to Jesus, hopefully, to change us, maybe the other person. But definitely, they can be a long, dry spells in relationships, relationships we care about, and certainly some difficult relationships. Yeah, good. So, to what extent has, well, I guess that's a question you have to Answer for yourself on a 1 to 100 scale or however you want to do it. or Probably it's different times, different focus, right? Um, and I, I think it's, it's hard for me. Sometimes I try to uh, read my Bible first thing when I get up and, and again before I go to bed. But it's kind of easy to get distracted and do something else first. Uh, and uh, we, keeping that focus on Jesus is not easy and only on Jesus. So uh, just a reminder, we are called to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. Anybody heard that before? Um, so wh where do we get that call to radiate life and joy? A lot of that goes back to this text, which was a favorite of Helen Jepson, who was pastoring here in the 60s. Um, and she felt like St. Paul was like a desert. And uh, at least in her ministry, there was some kind of dry spells and uh, impenetrable parts. And uh, the church, um, she felt like Bethel was still going to be like this in this passage. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and bloom with spring crocuses. And she felt like Bethel was going to bloom like a spring crocus, like a rose. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon. As lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon, there the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. So 
She's picturing the desert becoming like a forest. Um, with this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. Anybody need to hear that? Anybody have some tired hands and weak knees, a little anxious, a little um, discouraged, maybe? So we need to hear, and maybe even a little fearful, though we don't want to admit it. Um, but God, the word is, God is coming. God is coming to save you. And so we want to picture that, whoop, um, that crocus rose, the thing blooming in the desert. And of course, it was not just one bloom in the passage. It's a whole bunch of blooms across the desert that, that sometimes happen with a, a heavy rain that doesn't usually happen, that a, that a rain will come and everything will bloom. But a, a rose just crazily bursting out. And, and why is that? It's because of the roots that go down deep to a flow that's underneath, some water that is underneath. Um, and Andy, who was leading worship here, gave us a nice picture of this in, uh, in our neighborhood. Um, Bethel blooming like a rose on Portland Avenue. Can you kind of see Portland Avenue there? And, and Bethel in a, in a bit of a dry area, some dry trees, Bethel, maybe it's blooming, maybe it's radiating, maybe it's fruit that is in the middle of St. Paul, which right now can be a kind of a dry spot. There's some difficult things. We, we met and prayed at the police station with a few other people uh, this week. You know, we, we had a record number of murders this week. It's very, very low for city our size, but still, it's, it's not Good. We, uh, we've had some challenges as a country. We've had some challenges as churches. There's some desert times. So the, the last 10 years, 12% less people in America say they're a Christian than, than they did before. Um, we, we fought the longest war we ever have, and the Taliban got the country back. And there's just a lot of things that feel like desert. And the separation between us has felt like desert. And, and, and maybe your economic situation, other things have been difficult, but there is a flow that might not be obvious that can help us. Why do you bloom in the desert? Because of what your roots go down to. It's not because of the flower. It's because of what the roots are reaching in the flower. Now, this is a picture some of you have seen before. This is something that came out of our uh, leaders retreat, retreat in 94, if I'm remembering right. Um, and that was a picture of that rose blooming in the desert, um, but we pictured it more as breaking through the concrete, breaking through the pavement, and uh, more of an urban jungle, <laughs> kind of, because pavement does tend to keep the water away, right? But breaking through the cracks, and then the roots are going down into the water, and that was the, the word, true to the word and alive in the spirit, that that rock that's down there, that word that's down there, and the spirit that we're drawing from was, was what was making that crazy rose bloom in the middle of the street. And uh, so this 
was that picture. In some ways, you know, the, the word is also pictured as that water. We talked about Psalm 1 in our Year to Thrive and, and other psalms where the, the righteous man delights in God's law day and night, and therefore he's like a tree planted by the waters. In fact, St. Paul is all that it is. Why, why is St. Paul here? Why is Minneapolis here? Because there's a river, right? We're here because there's a river, and when we turn on our taps, we get the river. We, when we water our, water our lawns, it's the river that's watering our lawns. It's because that river, and we, so we are also picturing how that river flows through our cities and gives flourishing and life to this city. And then it flows beyond this to the communities beyond us and out into the ocean and out around the world. And that, that picture of a flowing of that water that nourishes not just our congregation, but flows in the, the picture was that actually the, the rose bush or the tree being a, almost like a well where it cracked through the, the sidewalk and now there's a bubbling spring that's coming up, flowing down the streets, making things green and flowing on to the nations. That was the picture in 94. Along before there were very many nations here with us and just before I was sent out to the nations. And that picture has continued to, to stick with us, that picture of blooming in the desert, true to the word, alive in the spirit, and also this picture of a river flowing. And one of the texts we've gone to at times is in Ezekiel, but I wanted us to get Ezekiel in context. Um, so we're, I'm gonna put up, we're going to put up a Bible Project video to give a little of the context, because um, there's a little bit of a danger as we read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, other places, that we cherry-pick the hopeful verses. When actually a lot of them are verses about judgment. And they're saying, you know, you need to turn, you need to rely on Yahweh alone, otherwise you're going to be destroyed. In fact, you, the Babylonians are coming, they're going to destroy you. And don't listen to those false prophets who keep saying, it'll be fine. You're special. You're God's people. You're, you're in church, it'll be okay. Don't listen to those people. So I don't want us to be one of those kind of prophets where we just cherry-pick the hopeful things and forget that it's in the context that we have to be depending upon Jesus. There's no promise if we actually have other idols that we're depending on. If we're actually not doing justice, if we're not doing those things, then the hopeful parts don't happen. But then after the exile happens, as they promised, and they're in exile, and they think God's abandoned us, God couldn't even defend his temple. We, we should just follow the Babylonian gods or just give up. Then comes the message of hope. No, God has not abandoned you. God is not even gone. He's with you in exile. And so that hope of in the exile, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to give you a new hope and a future. So, so let's do the, the context of this, just because I want us to make sure that we... Uh, don't give ourselves false promises that it'll be fine without keeping the focus where it needs to be. So can you run that Bible Project video? I hope. There we go. Just going to take a clip from it, the second half. Um, go home and watch both videos. The book of the prophet Ezekiel 
In the first video, we were introduced to Ezekiel the priest, and he's sitting among the exiles in Babylon. And he's confronted by the awesome glory of God's temple presence, but it's appearing to him in Babylon. And then Ezekiel discovers why. It's because of Israel's idolatry and injustice that has compelled God to abandon his own temple. And while there is still hope for the future, the book went on to develop Ezekiel's message of divine judgment, first for Israel and then for the nations around Israel. And then a key moment happened in chapter 33. Ezekiel receives a report that the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem is over because the city has fallen the temple is destroyed. Ezekiel's grim words of warning came true. The exile was the most horrendous catastrophe that ever happened to Israel, and it raised the big questions of whether God was done with Israel for good. But remember, at the end of chapter 11, God promised that there was still a future beyond exile for Israel. And so the rest of the book is designed to explore Ezekiel's vision of hope, first for Israel, then for the nations, and then for all of creation. The hope for Israel begins with God promising to raise up a new David, a future messianic king who's going to be the kind of leader that Israel needed but never got. And this new Israel who's going to come under the messianic king's rule is going to be a transformed people. God's going to deal with the heart of their problem of rebellion by giving them new hearts. It's just like Moses promised at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. God says he's going to remove their hard hearts and send his spirit into his people to give them new soft hearts that can love and obey their God. And this idea gets developed in the next strange vision. Ezekiel sees a huge valley filled up with dry human bones and skeletons. And God tells him that it's an image, a metaphor for Israel's spirit state. So their rebellion against God, it resulted in exile and the literal death of many people, but it was also a metaphorical death of their covenant relationship. And God tells it. So we're going to, we're going to stop it there for a minute. Um, and, and I think, you know, the rest of that, that vision. Um, and and I, I would just don't want just to, to save time, go back and, and watch the whole video and watch the previous video. But I, I, I found it interesting as I, as I meditated on this, you know, as I've read Ezekiel before, I've gotten caught up in the picture of the, the cherubim and the wheels and the whatever all that is about. I had never really caught the thing of, here is this priest, Ezekiel, who turned 30 on his 30th birthday. He's supposed to be entering into temple service. He's in exile. And what happens? But the presence of God shows up on his birthday in exile. And that same presence that had shown up on Mount Sinai, that had shown up in the tabernacle, that was in the temple, shows up there in his exile. And then he, he makes sense of it later that actually there was so much idolatry and oppression of the poor and injustice back in Jerusalem that God had given up. And he reluctantly moved out of his temple because it was so disgusting because people were worshiping idols right around him. That he moved out. And he'd moved on with the exiles. And what an amazing picture that was for the exiles who thought they were so far from God and they'd abandoned the land and God had abandoned them. And what a picture for those in Jerusalem who were saying, oh, we're fine. The temple of the Lord is here. We can't be harmed. But actually... It was just an empty temple because God had left because of their pollution and idolatry. So what I found interesting also was that this 
parallels what we're seeing in Acts, where there was this tale of two temples, as you remember this other video, where there was the Jerusalem temple headed by the Sanhedrin and under the Roman, and they, Jesus said, they're going to be judged. The fig tree is going to be cursed. He came in and said, it's become a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but no, it's a den of robbers. And he prophesied that it was going to be torn down, not one stone left on another, very much like Ezekiel's prophecy. And then when the, the apostles come in, there's these two temple administrations going on. God's spirit fell not on the temple, but on the day of Pentecost. And then as they get kicked out and, and pushed out of Jerusalem, the fire of the temple goes with the exiles, goes to Samaria, goes to the road to Ethiopia, goes to, we'll soon see Cornelius' house and the Gentiles and Antioch and all over to the nations. But in just about 40 years, the temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed as Jesus has prophesied and others have prophesied. And so that it's this same kind of thing. And that God's Spirit is bringing a new heart and a new power in, to, to exiles. So the thing is, we need to be paying attention to that earlier thing. We need to make sure that our worship is really God-focused. That we are really loving God and loving others as his covenant commands us to. And then wherever we are, that spirit goes with us changes our hearts, empowers us, enables us to be depending on him in the desert, in exile, in the wilderness, in the winter, in the waiting. Now he gives this hope. So let's, let's skip ahead to the, uh, the end of that video. And um, there you go. It's finally dealt with among the nations. The last section of the book describes how God's presence is going to one day return to his people and his temple to bring cosmic restoration. So Ezekiel first gets this long, elaborate vision of a new temple and a new city. He's given this heavenly tour guide who shows him around the new temple complex, and it's much larger and more majestic than even Solomon's temple. There's a new altar, new priests, a whole new system of worship. And then after this elaborate tour, God's glorious throne chariot that he saw back in his first vision comes back, and it enters the new temple. Now, the meaning of these temple visions has been the source of debate for a long, long time. So some Christian so and Jewish see, here's, leaders here's believe God's that this vision will be fulfilled entering again like he did on the day of Pentecost and into these Jerusalem. chapters offer the actual blueprints of the new temple that will be built when the Messiah returns and brings God's kingdom. But many other Jewish and Christian readers think that this vision, like all of Ezekiel's other visions, is full of symbols. And they depict the reality of God's presence returning to his people in the messianic kingdom, but not necessarily in the form of an actual building. Whichever view you take, it's important that Ezekiel never calls the city Jerusalem. And chapters 47 and 48 show why. Ezekiel sees this tiny stream pouring out of the temple threshold and steps, and then it quickly becomes this raging river, and then it flows out of the temple and the city into the desert, into one of the most desolate places on planet Earth, the Dead Sea Valley. And then that river, it leaves behind it a trail of trees and life, and then the Dead Sea gets transformed into a living sea that's teeming with plants and animals. 
All of this imagery comes from the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And we see just how cosmic Ezekiel's vision really is. God's plan has always been to restore all humanity and all creation back to his life-giving presence. And so the book ends with the name of this garden city. The Lord is there. And so Ezekiel's visions come to a close, full of hope for a new future. New humans living in a new world that's animated by God's life-giving spirit. It's a world permeated with God's love and justice. And that's what the book of Ezekiel is all about. So there you see the, the love and justice of the Lord that is spreading out. And we see this already in Acts, that the that, that in the exile, that, that these people are, this river is flowing out of Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to, the, to Ethiopia, to Caesarea and Antioch, <clears throat> and through Asia Minor and Greece, and all the way to Rome. And of course, that's only part of it. It's also flowing east to Babylon and south to Africa. And all of that is happening as this river flows. And the river keeps flowing. <laughs> it's still flowing. And then, of course, Revelation 22 picks up the same river through a special city where the Lord is here. There is no temple because Yahweh is everywhere in this city. And again, we have this picture of this river where life is everywhere, and there are trees for the healing of the nations and fruit every season. Anybody know a, a tree that gives a fruit every month? I don't think so. Um, most of them here give it once a year. Mangoes twice a year. You know, there's a few, but uh, not every month. So let's look again at this vision that has been part of our, um, you know, our themes always build on each other and weave back and forth with each other. So this is, this is a, a, a text that we've referenced before. In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. That was where they had the big sea, which they used to purify things, right? Called it the sea because it was the calming of the sea in this Eden-like temple. Um, the man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me through to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the south side <coughs> of the east gateway. So it's flowing into the Kidron Valley, out down that um, from the temple steps. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. Now, I have walked this valley when I was in Jerusalem for four months in 84. We walked down the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem and there was not much of a stream, maybe this wide. And yes, you could walk through it on, with your ankles. Probably you could jump over it on stones. Not much of a river, but this. He measured off another feet and led me across. This time it was up to my knees. Well, it's not that. And then he measured another 1750 feet and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in. Oh, first it was up to his waist and then too deep, to, but too deep to walk through. He could swim in it. A huge river, a Mississippi river. Now there is no Mississippi river in the eastern part. East of Jerusalem is the Judean desert because the rain shadow means that Water off of the Mediterranean falls on the, this side, the west side, and then it, the east side, because it falls off quickly down to Jericho, the, the rain doesn't fall there. Like some of you have seen eastern Washington or other places where the, Seattle gets all the rain, 
eastern Washington doesn't get it. And that's the way it is. The Judean desert is dry. Very, very dry. And you keep going, it is, that is it, right there. That's what I saw when I, we walked down the Kidron Valley. We walked through that landscape of where water has carved that canyon <laughs> very slowly for a long time. But um, that's the, that's the, the wadi of, of the Kidron Valley. Um, we walked actually to Marsaba, which is a monastery placed there uh, by a saint before 500 A.D., precisely because he wanted to live in the desert and uh, live in caves with other people. And then all the other monks got there and they, they built a, a place to live. But the, the flowering in the desert, that is what we're talking about. Do you see a river there? There is no river there. There's a, a trickle. There's a creek. But no river you can swim through. And that goes all the way to the Dead Sea, which now is even drying up as a Dead Sea. And, but it makes so much water that it purifies it and, and brings that life to everything that is there. So, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. He asked, have you been watching Son of Man? Then he led me across, back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of the stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. You see the life that it's bringing. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, which has no fish, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, all the way from En Gedi to En which is east and west sides of the Dead Sea. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. So there's a big fishing industry where there are no fish now. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean, but the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty, which is great because then you can get your salt and your minerals um, on the sides um, that the Dead Sea provides. So this life that is coming, fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. Leaves of all these trees will never turn brown and fall. Those of you who love autumn, I don't know if there's going to be an autumn in the New Jerusalem. Because the leaves are always going to be green. It's always going to be harvest time. Because there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month. For they're watered by the river flowing from the temple. From the presence of God. Yahweh's presence brings that life. That flourishing, that fruitfulness, that healing. The fruit will be food for food and the leaves for healing. Anybody want food and healing? God's very practical. That flourishing, that that we are seeing, that river flowing and bringing life. So what's our 2022 theme? You've all been dying to know. Um, me too. I've been I've anxiously waiting for months. Um, so 2022 theme, a year for healing community. That would work, right? Because we haven't finished our healing community. You see all that flourishing of a healing community. But I decided not to go there. Certainly, it makes sense that this flow of the river and the flow of our community out to bring healing fits. So 2022, a year for life. 
That would fit too, right? Sorry, I, I skipped ahead. A year for grace. Now, this is one I really thought about for a long time because I think we need grace. Personally, I need grace. It's really hard to be a perfectionist these days because um, things are not going very perfectly. Um, can my fellow perfectionists say amen? Um, we need grace. We need God's grace because we are sinful. We need him to come back to his temple and to the exiles even though we have not done things that deserve it. We need his healing even though we don't deserve healing. We need his provision even though we don't deserve it. We need his presence. We need his love. And then we need to overflow with that to each other. Even though we're annoying. I'm annoying, okay? And uh, you all can, you don't have to talk with each other about that. You do that enough. Um, I'm annoying. Uh, just ask my wife if you want details. She's pretty good about not giving details. But um, we need to forgive each other. We need to give grace to each other. As we're going through this COVID time and we're all trying to figure it out and none of us really knows, we need to give grace to each other, even those people who don't understand what we do about it. When, as we face issues of racism and injustice, we need to give grace to each other. We need to give grace to each other. There, I, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not going to eliminate, elucidate all the ways that we need to give grace, but we are sinners. And Scripture says we need to bear with one another and forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. One of the things we sometimes do in the church is we expect people to not need forgiveness. We expect them to already be sanctified. Um, those of you who are still in this church probably know better. You've probably had to forgive some people. You've probably had to be forgiven, whether you admitted it or not. <laughs> we need to forgive one another. We need to give grace. We need to have that overflow of God's grace. So I was really tempted to that, with that one. But then I, I settled on this one. A year to go and grow with God's overflow. We need to go like that river, like in Acts. And we need to grow as those plants that are next to the, the river, that are fed by the river. We need to go, and notice that as they went, that's how they grew. We don't have to get it all right before we go. We go and we grow with God's overflow, because it's about God's overflow. It's not about what I have in me. This reservoir goes dry really fast if it's just me. But if I continue to be in God's flow, I am able to overflow to others with the grace, with the love, with justice, with everything that God has given me. And then that seemed too long. So how about a year for God's overflow? Um, so again, this is all about God. So I could have just said a year for overflow, but I think sometimes when we forget that it's God's, we've Try to make it ourselves. Say, I'm going to overflow. How do I overflow? I'm just an empty vessel. But I can be filled with God's Spirit, with His love. I can be with His justice. I can be filled enough to overflow to others. 
So I kept it a year for God's overflow because it's not about some kind of self-help. It's not about some kind of prosperity gospel that if I do this right, if I have the right faith, if I do something, I'm going to be overflowing. No, it's all about God. It's about God's overflow. His flow into me that allows me to have that life as my roots go into his love and the overflow for others. So 2022, a year for God's overflow. I'm going to let the morks come up. If Andy wants to say anything else about the artwork. Um, and uh, he, was, he was doing the artwork while I was still in process for developing the theme. <laughs> so um, can we pray together? Lord, we need you. We desperately need you. We have tried to rely on our cracked cisterns to give us enough to get through this desert. But we need you. We've tried to rely on the wood we can chop to stay warm enough, but we need the sun. Lord, we need you to fill us to flourishing and to overflowing and to life and to radiating warmth and joy and hope, to being a house of prayer for all nations. We are a house not of our own presence, but a house that holds you as a people, not as a building, but as a people. We house your presence. We want to be filled with your spirit, and we want to overflow with you to everyone that we touch. We want everyone we bump into to get a splash of grace and life and joy from us. God, would you do what only you can do? We are grateful for all you have done. We're grateful for all you've done in getting us through 2021. We're grateful for the life in the desert that we have seen. And we want to see more of you overflowing into the desert and the dry places in our personal lives, in our relationships, in our health, in everything that we need. We are dependent upon you. We are trusting you. Come and give yourself to us. We pray, Jesus. Amen. Lord, we crown you King of glory, Creator life-giver, recreator, re-giver of life, forgiver, blesser, healer, peace-giver, joy-giver. Lord, you have all that we need. So we want to receive. We want to give up our pride, our shame, our focus on our life, because it's not our life to live. You have given us this life. You've given us this church, this life together for your purposes. And Lord, as we go out, we go out with your river flowing, not to be healers, but to stay in the stream, to aim for the deepest V, to keep our, our canoes in the river, in the flow of your spirit, your life, your grace, your joy. 
So now in the name of the Father who loves you so much, the Spirit who gives life, and Jesus who gave himself to bring life to this world, go and flow with God's overflow. Amen.